Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. All right, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Morgan Beck. We're at Johan Vineyards. Uh, it's Monday, July 1st, 2019. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today, Morgan. We really appreciate this. Thanks for coming. Uh, we'll start you off by asking, uh, why wine? Why wine? Um, yeah, well, I guess to start with, if you would have asked me or told me that I would be a winemaker in the Willamette Valley when I graduated college, I probably would have laughed. <laughs> Um, I, I grew up in Colorado and, um, yeah, I, I guess my parents were both involved in horticulture. My dad owned a landscape company and I worked summers with him. And then my mom was a horticultural therapist, um, at a hospital, spinal cord and brain injury hospital. And I spent a lot of time, uh, volunteering with her working in the gardens and the therapy gardens. So always kind of had a green thumb and that was that was definitely part of my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to school at University of Colorado at Boulder mm-hmm. and I studied finance <laughs> and international business. Um, graduated in 2008 right when the market crashed and somehow found a finance job right out of school and I yeah, I, I liked it, I enjoyed it, but I ended up um, taking a little sabbatical, if you will, <laughs> and went up to Vail, Colorado, to be a ski bum for a few years. <laughs> and as you do when you work in the uh, ski industry, I guess you ski all day and then you gotta figure out how to make your money at night, and worked in restaurants. Um, and that is where I discovered wine. I, yeah, I remember, I remember the first time I actually had a sip or tried the wine that was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is good. Mm -hmm. This isn't just, yeah, what I was familiar with as wine before, Mm -hmm. um, working at a restaurant and a gentleman, it was actually an Oregon Pinot Noir, Mm -hmm. um, offered me a sip of the wine and I yeah I just remember being really moved by it mm-hmm. um, from that point started asking a lot of questions and um, kind of worked my way through a couple different restaurants up in up in Vale area mm-hmm. and ended up finding a a Psalm at one of the restaurants who became a mentor of mine um, allowed me to sit in on some of the distributor tastings mm-hmm. and, and different tastings throughout the days. Um, and then they had a really deep inventory, so I ended up using my finance spreadsheet uh, experience <laughs> and helping organize, which was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Just kept looking up all of these wines and getting to taste more wines from around the world. Um, yeah, from from there, you know, I guess that was my main service side of, of mm-hmm. things. I, I find it really interesting because I think a lot of the winemakers here move from service side and into um, production or viticulture. And it's always, for me, interesting to hear how that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, in my case, I, I actually ended up heading to South America for... Um, originally the plan was to ski in Argentina and I actually ended up getting injured and having some knee surgeries and when I got better it was summer and I wasn't allowed to ski so I still went and um, traveled South America for a while and then landed back in Buenos Aires Mm -hmm. um, really just wanting to learn the language and learn Spanish uh, feeling like the, you know, in order to do that, you really need to immerse yourself in a culture and a place. So 
I got a job at a little wine bar <laughs> and they put me in wine school so that I could do wine tastings in English for um, the tourists that came through <laughs> this wine bar on their way out to whatever wine country that they were visiting. Um, it was really interesting, met some really cool people. Actually, a couple of Oregon winemakers came through. Mm -hmm. um, and when I finished the, the introductory class, the school that I was going to was just starting a year-long enology and viticulture mm -hmm. certificate program. So I enrolled in that and I lived in a big city and learned about the science of winemaking and viticulture in Spanish, which was, you know, interesting. <laughs> um, and the more I learned about it, the more I felt like I really just needed to uh, try it. Mm -hmm. You know, you learn so much in a book and um, I was pretty far away from wine country, so the hands-on portion was, was not tangible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I finished up school and then um, it just happened to be, I think it was June, so harvest in the United States was coming up soon and I was pretty ready to get back to the States. Um, applied for so many internships. <laughs> I'll say that it's hard and I, I feel for when I receive uh, internship uh, requests it's hard to start as a green intern with no winemaking experience and no, you know, accredited degree mm -hmm. from, a, from a university. So I cast the net wide and um, landed actually what initially, like I had this thought in my head that you'd work at an estate vineyard and winery and get to go to this magical place every day and make wine. And I ended up at a custom crush facility in a warehouse district in Sonoma. And it was actually the most amazing first um, winemaking experience because I had the opportunity to see a number of different winemakers, um, a number of different varieties and winemaking styles. And um, yeah, it was it was a really special first experience. Mm -hmm. I think I wouldn't I wouldn't trade that for the world. Mm -hmm. um, I fell in love with the cellar. I think by like week two, <laughs> like this is amazing. I feel like you either love it or hate it during mm -hmm. harvest, right? Um, and from there, I I mean I also really was drawn to Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. I uh, one of the gentlemen that I worked with down there was. Um, he made a lot of really beautiful Pinot from Sonoma Coast, and I, um, I was intrigued immediately. Um, from there, I went to New Zealand and had my first um, biodynamic winemaking experience um, down in Central Otago again with with Pinot Noir. Um, I then came to Oregon, because Oregon does Pinot, I heard, <laughs> and uh, had a, a really amazing experience up here in Oregon. Mm -hmm. um, and then went to Chile and worked in Casablanca, again with, with Pinot-focused. Um, I landed back in the Bay Area and worked at a, a, a little urban winery mm -hmm. in Berkeley. and. Um, from there, I realized that the style of winemaking that I was becoming more drawn to, um, the vineyard was a really, really important thing to learn and understand. And working at an urban winery felt very far away from that. So I decided to dive back into the other side of, of viticulture and um, get some experience on that side of things. Uh, worked with an organic and biodynamic a vineyard management company based out of Sonoma and that was an incredible experience to see um, and when I finished that I realized oh there's not much Pinot in Sonoma and doesn't do really well here so now I have this viticulture experience I want to go back to Oregon and I had always been drawn to Oregon and thought about Oregon after my first harvest up here 
Um, so yeah, I guess that's a really long-winded why wine, but to me, finding um, the fact that you can grow something and it's so dependent on this seasonal change, um, it encapsulates an entire year of everything that happens to it into these grapes and then we are able to make and help guide, I guess, an artistic expression of the land for people to enjoy um, and have an experience with. I think finding, finding out how, you know, compelling that can be was, was really what kept me mm-hmm. interested. And it's just always changing, so <laughs> never get bored. Tell me about your travels a little bit. What did you, were there specific things you pulled from different parts of the world that you've kind of brought into your, to your reign of knowledge now? What what, what were the experiences, what have they, what have they, what do you keep with you from your experiences in New Zealand and Chile and Hmm. Argentina? Yeah. Um, New Zealand, I learned about temperatures. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember having that experience of working in Celsius and seeing the one degree difference was like a lot degree difference in in Fahrenheit and um, really learning about extraction of winemaking at different temperatures. I think that was um, really a big big piece of that experience for me. Um, Making wine in in central Otago um, is really seasonally dependent Um, There are some really good years and then there are some years that it struggles to get ripe. Um, Tannin management is is a thing there. Um, But it was a really interesting site that I worked with. Um, It's a biodynamic from inception. I guess they farmed the land for many years, biodynamic prior to planting grapes. Um, And they were really interested in figuring out the expression of each block mm-hmm. and the chemistry um, of each block. So we literally ran full panel, or f- not full panels, but um, bricks PHTA on every single bin of fruit that came in. And we, it seemed totally bizarre when we did it. This was a lot of work <laughs> on every picking bin of fruit, but at the end of harvest, we were able to map the chemistry of Pinot Noir across the entire site. And that was a really um, great experience at that point in my winemaking career because I didn't have the foundational knowledge of, you know, a four-year degree. Mm-hmm. So um, I had, you know, basic chemistry winemaking and that really helped me understand those relationships. Um, I think in Chile, I learned how to fix things <laughs> because when things break in Chile, you don't just go buy another one, you fix it. And um, that's invaluable <laughs> because winemaking is very expensive and the tools that we use are very expensive. Um, so yeah, it was, it was learning how to make beautiful wine with, you know, we did have a nice press and nice things, but just all the little stuff of how a cellar works. There was not anyone to come out and service your pressure washer mm-hmm. when it breaks. Mm-hmm. It's like, pull out the manual, figure it out. Um, and the other big thing about Chile for me was learning how to work and manage people that are there for harvest that don't necessarily care about wine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because of the schedules and the, um, yeah, you you come into work at 7 a.m. and you know they everyone else was really excited to go home at like 4:30. I'm like we're in the middle of pump overs and we still have a whole bunch to go. Like how do you how do you explain to someone who's just used to working in factories that this is a time dependent situation? Mm-hmm. And I remember at one point. Everyone left and I stayed and finished the entire evening of punch down and pump over by myself. And I came in and I was doing the morning ones before anyone else got there and they were 
super surprised that I did that and they never left me again. They just <laughs> stuck it out. So, um, yeah, learning how to uh, communicate the kind of urgency of, mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. what needs to be done at what time during harvest. Mm. was Chile. Um, yeah, Oregon was um, my first experience to really feel the community vibe. Mm -hmm. I loved, and that's what drew me back here. Mm -hmm. um, I love that the industry here is is a whole. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't feel as I mean maybe just California is more saturated, and therefore, you know, you have to be a little bit more independently unique mm -hmm. uh, to to do well. But there's just something about Oregon, or maybe it's the people that the Oregon wine industry at, attracts. Mm -hmm. um, but I just I felt home mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> You mentioned your first real kind of transformative wine taste being Pinot, Oregon Pinot Noir mm -hmm. uh, and, and then being drawn to Pinot Noir after that. What is it about Pinot Noir to you that makes it such so interesting or, or makes you want to do it for a living? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I think to start with prior to that, I'd probably just had some mainly big reds. I don't, I don't think I had had a, a wine made in uh, balance, to say, <laughs> first. Um, I love that Pinot Noir has the complexity and depth, but maintains balance and elegance when done well. Um, the more I learned about it, I think all of us that work with it, work with it because it is difficult, and it continuously challenges us. Um, it's hard to grow. It's finicky in the cellar if things aren't perfect. Um, I think it just, it, it demands a lot from you in terms of attention. Um, and if you, if you just listen, it, um, yeah. It, it's just really intriguing, I think, in general. I mean, there's, a lot of really fun grape varieties and we work with a lot of them here at Johan. Um, but Pinot Noir is so expressive. There's so many different um, expressions of the grape mm -hmm. through different selections and clonal material for sure. Um, and I think it's really transparent as well. Mm -hmm. It can really show the difference of a site. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little about your, you, you talked about kind of, uh, as you were developing your winemaking, you realized the importance of the vineyard. Uh, and, and you've worked with biodynamic, you've worked with organic. Tell me a little bit about your, your vineyard philosophy and what it is you strive for in grapes you're overseeing and what it is you look for in, in grapes that maybe you're sourcing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, th I think a big thing here in Oregon um, that I feel really fortunate to be here at Johan Vineyards is um, the importance of a site mm -hmm. being fitted to the grape varieties that you're growing. Um, I know we have a lot of Pinot Noir in this valley and I think as, I mean, I don't know if the last five years of warmer climate is, is to stay, but I have an inkling. And I think to figure out how to um, have Pinot Noir growing um, and continue to achieve balance mm -hmm. uh, without manipulation in the cellar is um, is really important. In terms of the vineyard, you know, we, we do a lot here to focus on the diversity of the site. Mm -hmm. um, we are not just growing growing grapes here. Um, it's a lot of room and space for uh, diverse cover crops and um, a lot of all of that contributes to the complexity of the wine I think mm. in the end mm. um, sure. yeah 
So speaking of Johan, how did you end up here? Yeah, um, I, I worked a harvest after coming up from California. I, I worked a harvest with um, a gentleman who buys a good amount of fruit uh, from the site and saw Johan fermentations as well as a number of other sites in the cellar and there was something about those fermentations that were wildly different. Um, super aromatic, uh, just, I don't know, they didn't, everything was native yeast fermentation in the cellar, but the, the pace of ferment from the Johan um, grapes were uh, really kind of just perfect, like things didn't go wild and, you know, need your attention. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was super intrigued and actually that, that winemaker um, went and grabbed a couple of Johan bottles and blinded us on those bottles in the middle of harvest and I remember tasting the Chardonnay, our Wisdom Chardonnay, and thinking, A, this, there's no way this is from the United States. Um, this is beautiful and balanced and delicious and just... Uh, tasted very old world to me. Mm -hmm. um, and then the Pinot Noir was just unlike anything I tasted prior as well. And he pulled the bottles out of the bag and sure enough they were from Johan Vineyards, the same place that all these magical smelling fermentations <laughs> were from. And I was like, I need to go talk to them. <laughs> so um, I came over and we were looking for a part-time tasting room person. and like oh, I could do that <laughs> you know maybe they'll let me top once a week <laughs> and so slowly um, I started in the tasting room and I think within two weeks I was full-time here um, helping in the cellar and I came came on as um, Dan's assistant for the first few years and, and kind of helped with both the vineyard and the cellar and for me it was um, it's kind of the dream job that I had been looking for and that I feel like I had every time I was in the cellar I was reaching for the vineyard and wanting to be closer to that and then when I was just in the vineyard you drop the grapes off on these doorsteps and think oh my gosh what's gonna happen to them I want to see I want to see that side too um, it's it's amazing that here in the United States we continue to I think there's a big separation between um, the grapes and the winemaking facility. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And whether it's, even if it's a state winery, you know, having a vineyard management company farm it and you not necessarily having um, control of what's happening out there. Mm -hmm. So here at Johan, we, we do all the things together mm -hmm. and um, I think it really goes a long way and the final product that's produced mm -hmm. to be able to um, make some moves out in the vineyard or at least just observe what's happening so that when the grapes do come in the door, we're able to um, kind of let them make the best wine that they can mm -hmm. that's reflective of the site in the year. Mm -hmm. so. so going off of that, it sounds like that's, that's sort of the beginning of your of your winemaking philosophy, but if you, if you could kind of elucidate what you, how you, what your winemaking philosophy is, that that would be, I would love to hear that based on the site. Yeah, um, so I mean, ideally the grapes, everything, all the big decisions are made outside. Mm -hmm. um, we try to uh, grow grapes that have, um, that achieve full ripeness um, with the right chemistry coming in the door that will be able to transform into a wine that is um, balanced, expressive of the site, um, not putting anything in between the, the grapes in the site and, and the wine. Um, a big thing for us here is native fermentations. Mm -hmm. So I think to be able to use the native yeast that's available in the vineyard as well as in the winery um, is 
one of the biggest things that has to do with the expression of a place. Mm. Um, we have never had a cultivated yeast strain here in the cellar at Johan, um, all native fermentations. And, um, you know, some of them take a little bit of time. The whites can take up to a year, sometimes a little longer. They'll just slowly tick. Uh, sometimes when I talk about that, people think we're totally crazy and like, like something's wrong. Uh, but they'll get there if you just give them the time. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, continue to taste and just make sure, make sure things aren't going off um, in a weird direction. But yeah, I, I think native fermentation's one. Um, ideally, you know, making decisions based on the chemistry that does come in the door. So if you already, if, if there's a year with higher pHs on Pinot Noir, which we, we do see, um, maybe use a little bit less whole cluster for the, the conversion um, to make a more balanced wine in the end. Um, yeah, I, I think we're just um, trying to use the tools that we have in terms of listening and, and guiding mm -hmm. rather than manipulating um, and just really try to, you know, give, give thanks to the place in the year that was brought to us. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, mm -hmm. answer sure. winemaking style. <laughs> So I'm curious because you kind of you kind of fell for the site before you had seen it. You fell for the for the fermentation of the grapes. Mm -hmm. Now that you're here, have you kind of figured out what it is? Why what it is that makes it special? Hmm. I think um, there's an energy here that isn't explainable. Uh, I think a lot of people feel it when they come. You know, we, we definitely do not have a fancy winery. We have <laughs> a big square box that we make <laughs> very, very simple wine. Um, our vineyard is is kind of bare bones. Like we, you know, we'd love to get to a point where we have animals and um, kind of a, an educational setting to share biodynamic wine growing with people. But right now it's, um, yeah, it's it's a really special place. I think what's cool is that we're continuing to diversify across a lot of different grape varieties and we're seeing a similarity in, a, in, in the expression in wine um, despite the variety. Mm -hmm. So as we increase the number of white grapes that we're working with, we're seeing commonalities across all of them. Um, same with reds. We were prim primarily Pinot Noir. Um, we have some Blau Frankish that we work with, um, a few other Austrian reds, um, some Cab Franc and Gamay that we, we sell to another fruit buyer. But seeing this site expression across multiple varieties, I think, is, is really intriguing mm -hmm. and compelling. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of what makes it so special, I, I think um, our owner, dog, Johan Sunby, he, um, he's one of those amazing people that he's very trusting and he's allowed a lot of experimentation here mm -hmm. on his property mm -hmm. to happen that I think a lot of owners would be like, you're totally crazy. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Um, and are you sure that's a financial, financially sound decision? And uh, we were able to try a lot of things both in the vineyard and in the cellar um, with his, you know, him saying yes <laughs> to a few things that might have been a little bit crazy. But I think just the openness to experimentation um, has allowed us to uh, explore the opportunities here. So, so what is it about biodynamic farming principles that appeals to you? Um, I think biodynamics is the closest that you can come to um, a holistic 
expression of a site. Um, I mean, organics is great and it's a great starting point. Um, but in reality, it's really just substituting, you know, one chemistry for another. Um, Biodynamics incorporates the entire farm. Um, it's more of a, I want to say lifestyle, but it's, it's more of a philosophy. Um, we farm the way we do because we feel that this is the best option for this place. Mm -hmm. um, we're focusing on not, yeah, not just um, the expression of the, of the year, but continuing to generate um, a good ecosystem for things to grow. Mm -hmm. uh, we focus a lot on soil microbiology mm -hmm. um, and building our soil. Mm -hmm. um, and I think through all of these things, um, you, you know, biodynamic farming also allows you to listen and observe what's going on and what, what's needed at any one time. Um, I think that just makes us better wine growers mm -hmm. in the end, um, just being present. Mm -hmm. So. Cool. Yeah. Good answer. I like that. Tell me what a typical day looks like for you here, Johan. Huh. <laughs> um, well, recently I've, I've got to hop into a little bit more of the business side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, we are growing both our, our production and, um, like I was mentioning, some of the experimental things we're doing. Um, we're making a number of new wines. We're, we're continuing to graft in new varieties here. Mm -hmm. So uh, figuring out how to incorporate um, these new varieties into our kind of lineup mm -hmm. and share those with the markets that we're working with. Um, I help out with distribution and sales as well as bookkeeping and admin things. Um, honestly, in terms of the seller here, we uh, we top once a week to ensure, you know, we're, we're not doing much in terms of sulfur management. Mm -hmm. So the biggest thing that we do in the cellar year round to manage oxidation is, is to top once a week. But outside of that, you know, just tasting and keeping an eye on where things are at, we're not, um, until the wine is ready to rack for a bottle, it's, it's just there in barrel. <laughs> um, so every day is different here, and I think that's what really keeps things interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, um, clearly there's a lot going on in the vineyard this time of year, um, and, you know, I get to, get to process some POs in the morning and take a walk and then taste some wine and um, host people that want to come out and visit. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's, you never know what's going to happen <laughs> every day. So Pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, you talked about sort of the varietals and the experimentation of varietals. So tell me a little bit more about that. You're talking about growing and also diversifying. So tell me kind mm -hmm. of what you're, what you're diversifying into. Um, we now have 16 different grape varieties growing on this site. Awesome. And uh, we, we function as both a grower and a producer. So we um, do sell fruit to a number of winery partners here in Oregon. Um, a lot of them being smaller, smaller producers that are um, excited to make a Johan Vineyard designate wine. Mm -hmm. um, so we, in terms of what we work with, grape, uh, grape varietal wise for Johan, um, we have 10 different clonal selections of Pinot Noir. So Pinot has been, at least in the past few years, the first thing we harvest and the last thing we harvest. So very wide range of um, yeah, harvest for Pinot, mm -hmm. one of the longest Pinot harvests I think that I've, I've heard of. <laughs> um, we are working with a number of Austrian varieties. Mm -hmm. So we have 
um, some Gruner Velt liner mm -hmm. and Blau Frankish, and then St. Laurent and Zweigelt. Mm -hmm. And we're really feeling like this site is well suited for, for those varieties. Um, the, the Gruner um, is super expressive and has some similarities to our Chardonnay, um, but just we make it in a, you know, a, a textural kind of more fleshy style, mm -hmm. um, let those skins get nice and ripe. And, and the wine is really compelling. Um, mm. The Blau, I think, is kind of the current team favorite. Um, it is one that, you know, in comparison to Pinot, it can kind of just sit back and wait for you to get to it. It's, it doesn't ask too much of you um, other than having giant leaves and needing some leaf removal and maybe some cluster declumping, but um, it's just a really mellow and easy thing to grow. Mm -hmm. And then in the cellar, um, we do really simple winemaking, um, distemmed, and recently we've started playing with a little bit of whole cluster on it, but it's wildly expressive and it has a lot of similarities to our Pinot, but then just like one more kind of dimension of depth in terms of fruit profiles and aromatics. Um, it's, it's really, really interesting, especially in these warmer, these last few warmer vintages, we're starting to see um, a bit more fruit development, uh, but it's really nice in cooler vintages too. So yeah. Um, we, we have some Sauvignon grafted in, which we're excited to see um, what that's going to be like. We'll probably get some fruit next year. Um, we're working with some higher acid clonal selections of Chardonnay, which uh, retain acidity um, at full ripeness, <laughs> which is really difficult with a lot of the Dijon selections here in the valley. Um, as you start to uh, get closer to uh, kind of ideal ripeness, then you start to lose acidity really quickly. And we're able to maintain that and make um, Chardonnay with, you know, lots of concentrated fruit flavor, but plenty of acidity and focus. Um, what else are we playing with? <laughs> Uh, we have some Ribola, Giala, and uh, for Ulano that we did some skin contact on last year, and that's, um, I thought it was going to be way more weird and out there, and it's just <laughs> stunning and elegant and floral and doesn't, to me, go, it doesn't taste like what I was expecting it to taste like at all. Um, I think it's going to be a really, really nice wine. It's still in barrel. We'll be bottling it in September, but um, yeah, there's lots of things going on. <laughs> How do you go about sort of educating and, and selling these kinds of wines to consumers that are not familiar with them? Um, so we, we share a lot of these here in our tasting room. I think what's really special about our tasting experience is, I mean, there's um, mainly f four of us or five of us that work here that farm the grapes, uh, make the wine, sell the wine. And um, we're all involved in the entire process so that we're able to really have that experience with the customer. Um, again, our, our, you know, our tasting room is quaint and uh, we sit on the patio and just share wine and, and talk about the vineyard and what happens in the cellar and um, where these grape varieties originally came from. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of, I think we're able to discuss with the customer how they can make that connection to something that they're similar or that they're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And they're not too far away from something they're familiar with and say, well, this is this other grape and you know, this is our take on it and this is what we've, we've observed this mm -hmm. on our site. Mm -hmm. um, so I think really just having 
someone who's involved in the process talk about it. Um, you know, we, we share a lot of Pinot here too. And the Pinot on this site is really interesting. Um, it, yeah, it's unlike any other Pinot I've tasted in the valley for sure. So, yeah. Interesting. You talked about earlier about uh, the the weather and the, the warm vintages we've had lately, and uh, and, and now your your diversification is that is part of that kind of a hedge against future issues with 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 global warming, or do you foresee other people in the Oregon wine industry doing something similar where they start kind of diversifying a bit more? Um, I would hope so. I think you know it's hard to know what our future is going to look like in terms of climate. And um, in general, though, I feel like we just have a lot of Pinot planted in this valley, and it does really well here. But um, I think I think we need to open our, you know, blinders a little bit and see this isn't the only thing that can grow here. Um, with these warmer vintages, even with Pinot Noir, we, you know, we have a number of selections that retain acidity as we're getting, you know, closer to that ripening point. Um, so even with the blend of the, the Dijon clones that we have on the property, we're able to bring in some, some other clonal selections that maybe will create balance in a blend. Um, I think just, I don't know, to have all your eggs in one basket in anything is just not super safe <laughs> but um yeah I, I i think the diversity also keeps us as as wine growers um interested mm -hmm. you know it's it's really fun to see these new things come about and we're all really jazzed to work with pinot every year too but um it's it's really exciting when the first, you know, Zweigelt comes in the door and like, what are we going to do with this? <laughs> so, yeah, maybe it's a site for nerdy wine growers too, but um, yeah, I, th I think though with these warmer vintages, it is smart to hedge your bets mm -hmm. a bit. Yeah. Since you're fairly new to the industry, uh, mm -hmm. you're looking at perhaps a, a fairly long career ahead of you in it. What do you see for Johan and yourself as you as you look, say, you know, ten years into the future? What are you seeing uh, coming down the coming down the road? Um, I I think that we have a lot to share. So we've been really focused on um, kind of internal growth here um, and the exploration am amongst our team and the site mm -hmm. we've we've put together a really exciting team um, two of our our full-time staff right now we're both interns with us in the last few years and they just both have super different uh, skill sets and one now runs our DTC and wine club here even though he has a lot of experience in winemaking and, and um, vineyards and then the other is kind of split between the vineyard and the cellar. Uh, we're just compiling a team that I think will allow us to build our our offerings here. Mm -hmm. So we're you know doing a lot of interesting things out in the vineyard, um, growing the biodynamic program and I, I hope at one point we'll be able to have some animals on this site. Um, we'll have a little bit uh, not a big, I don't think we ever strive to have a big hospitality program, but I think just a place to share mm -hmm. our kind of approach to this agricultural system that we're creating. Mm -hmm. um, people find it really interesting, and I hope we're able to maintain, you know, this um, small feeling and, you know, take a walk in the vineyard and talk about what's happening out there and then taste the wines from it. Uh, with some animals and um, yeah, we have a lot of land here to share. So mm -hmm. that's, that's definitely a goal.
What about as you look into the future for the industry in general? Uh, you mentioned the sort of the community uh, of it and obviously the rapid growth lately. What do you see as you look a decade ahead for Oregon wine? Um, I'm really excited. I think, you know, a lot of us here have done a ton to position ourselves to share with the country and the world that we can make quality wine from really diverse sites um, across a number of different grape varieties. And I think we have some good, you know, organizations behind us, like the Oregon Wine Board and the Willamette Valley Wineries Association are doing a lot to help kind of organize all of us crazy winemakers and, and take our stories out there. Um, I hope that with the growth that we're seeing and the, and the investment that we're seeing, we're able to maintain this special um, kind of small industry feel. And I think, I think we will. I think the people that have been, you know, called to work in Oregon in this industry are all really special humans. And um, I'm, yeah, I think that we're in a good place to continue to have that kind of community vibe, uh, an open book to share. Um, but I think that more eyes on us will just allow us to continue to sell more wine and, and share our stories. Um, yeah. Are there particular obstacles or challenges that you're kind of keeping your eyes open for as you look ahead? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. Obstacles or challenges. I think, you know, as with anything, uh, the more eyes you have on you and the more Pinot Noir that's going in the ground, um, just makes you need to be relevant and stay relevant. Um, how to offer a product at the right price point with increasing farming costs, labor costs, um, and maintain, stay competitive um, in the industry is, is really going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a few people predicting a crash <laughs> in the coming years, and I think that whether that happens or not, I think people that are diversified across their offerings and then continue to focus on quality um, will surface as the ones that will be able to maintain um, growth. I think we grew a lot, and then some people are feeling the need to stay at that size. So I, I hope that we're able to continue to grow all together. Mm -hmm. And yeah. You talked earlier about the about uh, coming in as an intern and looking for a, looking for a spot and feeling mm -hmm. sympathy towards people who are doing that now. So what advice would you have for someone who wanted to enter the industry today? Um, I would definitely get yourself in front of someone. It's really hard to send, you know, I feel like the first couple, I just sent these like long love letters of like why I wanted to work at this place. And I know that when we look for our interns, it's really hard to read those really long love letters, but I get so excited about it. Um, I think just positioning yourself as a really hard worker and explaining your passion and desire to learn is important. Uh, mentioning that you're organized and um, you know can wear multiple hats <laughs> and really like to clean things <laughs> is those are all great things to mention. Um, I remember mentioning at one point I love cleaning drains and they're like, okay, you're you're hired. But yeah, I think you know we we actually. We have an intern coming on with us who's never worked in the industry and she doesn't have a, a degree. She also came from the service side of things and um, she sounds like a really hard worker and I'm really excited mm -hmm. to have 
you know, have the opportunity to share what we have going here and then, yeah, I hope to continue to be able to offer opportunities like that. And it's amazing how much we gain from having a fresh set of eyes and especially those eyes that haven't necessarily done this all the time, asking those questions of, well, why do you do this this way? And you actually have to think about it more than just, well, we've always done it like that. And you think about, you have to explain, you know, well, this is because, you know, well, I don't really know. Do you have a better idea? <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's important for all of us in the industry to continue to offer experiences like this mm -hmm. to, to people wanting to learn. Whether it's an internship or, you know, having those servers down from your top selling restaurant in Portland to help sort fruit for a day. Mm. It's like, people love to sort fruit. And when you do it, you know, for hours on end during harvest, it's like, it's great. <laughs> but, yeah. What's, uh, what's something about being a winemaker that caught you totally off guard? What was something you were not expecting about the job of being a wine grower, winemaker that, you, that caught you by surprise? Um, I think that as, as with anything, any industry, the closer you come to that idea, like I always, like, I just, I want to be a winemaker and I'm going to work towards being a winemaker. And now that I am, I, I do a lot of office work. Um, so I guess I, I didn't really expect that. Um, but it's really important to collect your data, keep your data. Um, it's beneficial to both you and I hope for multiple generations to come. I think to have that information to share um, is really, really helpful. Um, yeah, that's probably the biggest thing. Okay, cool. Yeah. Is there anything? So all the questions that I have prepared for you. Is there anything that I should have asked? Anything we should have talked about that we didn't cover? I don't think so. I think we covered lots of things, but Excellent. I guess I would say too, you know, we're, we're just at the beginning mm -hmm. of, I feel like our industry is still so young mm -hmm. and there will be a lot of changes. And I, I think it's really amazing what you're doing to kind of get some of these stories on paper now and then be cool to come back and revisit and see where people are at in five or ten years and um yeah thank you for for what you're up to thank you and thank you for joining us and giving us your time and your thoughts today and your story and uh we'll let you off the hook <laughs> thank you for joining us for this edition of the oregon wine history archive podcast and thank you to all the supporters partners donors and interviewees who have made our project a success be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.